people. Um, welcome to fellowship. If you are new, if, if you haven't been here that long, let me just officially welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. We're moving now into a time of our service where, where we preach and we teach the word of God. That is an important part of, uh, of what we do. And we're talking about a very difficult subject right now, uh, the subject of, of sin and uh, we're doing that uh, not because it's just uh, something we want to talk about, but because it's something this book talks a lot about. And uh, for us uh, to be faithful, we want to follow, again, uh, the word of God. And so this series, Ruined, a Biblical Understanding of Sin, has been really the approach that we're taking. We're looking at different aspects uh, of sin. And um, again, I'm, I'm glad that I've had the opportunity over the past uh, couple of weeks to have uh, a couple of discussions with some of you about the series, and it's been good to hear from you. Uh, I know it's been creating good discussion even in our community groups and again, among the church just in general. Uh, one question that I've, that I've been asked a few times now is, you know, how did we end up on this topic or how, you know, how did you decide on on this topic, and I have tried to explain that a few times, but, but I, I received an email this week from, from someone in our congregation. It was about the series, and I think, I think it, it, in, in what, it, what it said really reveals and explains well why we're taking time to explain sin uh, biblically. Uh, she sent me an article that was put out by the Colson Center, which is a biblical apologetics ministry, and this article referred to the state of theology study, a research study that they had done. Um, and the study showed something which explains why, again, it's important for our church to take time to do a preaching series on sin like this. The study showed that 65% of self-identified uh, evangelicals agree with the statement that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. And if we could put that up, on the screen for everyone to see. I want you to be able to see and just understand and take that in. 65% of people who are identifying themselves as evangelicals agree that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, to believe that is to reject what we talked about last week, the concept, the doctrine of original sin which again is, is, is why it, it was sent to me. But, but just imagine what happens to a person's understanding of sin when it starts with the foundation of, well, everyone is really innocent in the eyes of God, aren't they? And, and so what we're doing again is, is we're, 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 we're not trying to just have a, a, a difficult conversation just for the sake of having that. We're trying to talk about something difficult to be uh, biblical in our understanding. So this is not, this series is, this proves to us that this series is very relevant. It's not just something doctrinal, but it is relevant to us. And so today, as we continue our study, we're going to be looking at two specific types of sin. Because now that we've understood what sin is, and, and then again, talking last week about what indwelling sin is, we needed to have those things kind of understood. Now we're, now we're ready to kind of move and look at some uh, specific categories of sin. 
And I'm saying categories because I'm not talking about uh, specific sins in general, but categories. So again, we can understand this concept biblically. And again, we need the Lord, we need the spirit of God to lead us. And so would you pray with me as we ask God to do that? Lord God, we submit ourselves to your word, to the authority of it. This concept, this doctrine, this understanding, this topic, Lord, it is It is so real to all of us because we deal with it every day. But it's also something we'd rather not talk about. And so, Lord, help us to to be able to understand these things in the way that your word, your your revealed word explains it so that we uh, can have a biblical understanding and in doing so, have also a right view of who you are, who we are before you and then what you have done for us. So go before me today, go before our time together. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every person that is here. Let them know that you love them, you care about them. And in in this truth that we're talking about, you're actually looking for them to see you, to see the Lord Jesus Christ as their provision for this problem of sin. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, today we're gonna look at two specific types of sin, not, again, not specific ones, but categories, again, to understand this biblically. And the first, uh, the first type that I wanna look at today is the category uh, of, of secret sin. Now, secret sin can refer to many different types or kinds of sins, but the category uh, of secret sin is dealt with specifically uh, in the scriptures, and we're going to see that. And I want to define what I mean first by a secret sin so that we can understand it. And I, and I have it explained uh, where it's being manifested in three specific ways. The first way is sin, which is intentionally kept hidden from God. And this is the primary way that I'll be talking about it today. Sin that is that is intentionally kept hidden from God. Now, now what's what's obvious about this is that this is impossible to do, but it doesn't mean that people don't try to do it. We we still try to do it. That then the, a, a next uh, part or, or the, another way that it's manifested is sin which is intentionally kept hidden from others, and and this secret sin may may be confessed to God but it's intentionally private from others. And that's not always a bad thing. Yes, we are to confess sin to one another, but that doesn't mean that, that you know, you're called to post all of your sins on social media uh, and not considering uh, the impact that that's going to have on you and other people as well. So we need to be wise and discerning in this, but this would be another, another way it's manifested. And then another way that it's manifested, a third way, is sin that's committed without actual formal awareness of actual sinning. Um, and, and, and this is, it's secret in that it's actually unknown to us. It's sin, but we're actually not even aware that we have violated God's ways. We've, we may have done so actually unknowingly. And Psalm 139, 23, it deals with this kind of sin. As the psalmist David wrote, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. What is, think about what, what he's getting at there. 
and see if there be any grievous way, any iniquity in me, in my heart, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, there, there may be some things going on here that I can't even see. Would you search me? Would you know me and reveal this to me so that I can see what, what you see? He's acknowledging here that he may have sin in his heart that he's not even aware of. And he's asking God to search his heart and to know him, to see if there's anything there. Show it to him so he can confess it, so he can repent of it, and he can move on from it. And this, is, this, this attitude here in Psalm 139 is an, is an attitude, an approach that all of us need to have. And it really goes against the whole premise of secret sin. So when talking about secret sin today, it it can include any of those three ways. But again, like I said, primarily what I'm talking about is the, the the times where we are trying to hide our sin specifically uh, from God. So what I want to do is move to some truths about God that will help us understand this better. And the first truth that I want to talk about is that nothing has ever or will ever be hidden from the sight of God. God knows all things. Now, believe it or not, understanding and believing this truth right here is a foundational truth to understanding sin. This is why they're so connected. Because many times, many people don't believe this to be true and act it out. Jonah ran from God, right? But, but he couldn't get away from God. He, he couldn't get away. Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden, right? Did they really hide though? Were they really hiding? Were they, were they out of his sight? No, none, none of us can ever Hide from God. Hebrews 4, uh, 12 and 13 is what I want to look at. You can turn there in your Bibles. We're going to look at a couple different passages of scripture here, but we're really familiar with Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And it discerns, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And verse 13 really goes along with it. Because verse 13 explains why those things about the word are true. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. No creature is hidden from God's sight. Everything is naked and exposed before the eyes of God. And all of us, all of us will give an account to the one who knows all things. This is letting us know who God is. We need to understand that about God. And again, it helps us understand sin. but, But we need to start with a good, solid understanding of who God is. He knows all things. Do you know that God cannot learn? There's nothing for him to learn. He knows all things. He knows how they came into existence. He knows how they operate. He sustains them. Our past, our present, our future. So nothing has ever or will ever be hidden from the sight of God. We need to understand that. Two, Second is that from God's perspective, then no sin is actually secret. 
nothing is really then secret when what, what we think is secret is actually not before God. Because at any time, God could decide to expose any hidden thing he wants to because he's God, right? And he has the power and he has the knowledge to do that. And one of the greatest lies that Satan, that Satan speaks to us is the lie of don't worry, no one will ever know. God does know. And God can expose what he knows as he wills. And this is what this teaches us. And it helps us to have a framework of, of sin. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, said this, let me warn you this day not to sin in secret. Know that you can never sin so privately, but that there are always two witnesses by God and conscience. There, there really is no, no sinning in secret when we, when we really think about it. But one of the nature, one of the parts of uh, the sin nature or the nature of sin, I should say it that way, is, is that sin does not like to be identified or found out. Yet we all have, you know, dirty laundry, if you will, that we do not plan on making public, you know, this afternoon. And that's not to say that, that we should. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we need to recognize our need to go to God who knows all things with our sin and just lay our souls bare before him because he already knows. And we're responding now. So though we start with God and an understanding of that, moving on, I want to, I, I call, I have some, some titles here that I think will help us understand things. I'm calling this the greatest problem of secret sin. And that's this, the greatest problem of secret sin is not that others may found out, uh, but that God already knows and sees this sin. This is, this is the problem with secret sin is it turns this on its head. Nothing is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So what this means is we cannot care more about what others know than what God knows. Right? And this is a problem when we care about that more. And that's what this is revealing. Now, this also leads to what I'm calling the deceptive restraint of secret sin. The deceptive restraint of secret sin is when we are restrained from our secret sin by our fear of shame, humiliation, or punishment. This restraint is deceptive because we're seeking to not sin, but believe it or not, and I know this is crazy to think about, we can actually have sinful motives for not sinning. Did you hear that? Like, well, wait, pastor, you said I'm trying not to sin. Yeah, we can actually have a sinful motive in trying not to sin. That, that's, that's why the scripture says that our hearts are so desperately wicked. This is why that statement I started with, you know, everyone's you know, born innocent and, and, and we're starting off with, you know, this great, that's not, that's not true. Our motives here can be sinful, which is why it's a deceptive Restraint. Our concern here is people, not God. Especially since we would think this certain sin, we're never going to commit it in front of people, but in front of God, it's not a problem. This deceptive restraint, it leads to sin becoming repetitive. Why? Because what's happening is we're actually practicing how to sin in the eyes of God with no restraint. 
And that's not good. That's not, that's not something that God wants us to do. We want, we want to be, have an awareness of his holiness. And this kind of deception, it, it, it can make us into what we, you would see as a practical atheist because you sin, but you're somehow thinking or you're convincing yourself God's not there, but he is. I have somewhat of, of an example of this. And again, I go out on a limb anytime I give an example or an illustration, but um, I, I go to Sam's Club a lot for, to shop for things that we need in the house. It's actually a store I don't mind going to. Um, and I always use the self-checkout line. And when you do that, you check all your items yourself. And then you get a receipt and you bring that printed receipt to the person that's standing at the door. If you've been there to the one, you know, probably not just in Wilkesbury, but wherever else, that's kind of how, how it works, right? And then that person scans your receipt and then they scan some of the items in your cart. But they never scan all of them, Right? So I remember the one time I, I went through and I had, I don't know how many things were in there and she scanned one of the items. She scanned my receipt and then she scanned one of the items and, um, and then like another one. And both items that she scanned were like, they were like really inexpensive items. But the one that was like really expensive or the most expensive, she didn't scan that. And I remember going out thinking, wow, you know, she didn't scan that and she would have never known if I actually didn't scan it myself. Which is potentially true, right? That's true. I could have, that could have happened. I could say next time, hey, you know what? I'll see if I can actually get away with that. But who would know? God, right? And so if we play this back, what happens? Well, who am I seeking to please? The Sam's Club receipt scanner? That's my, that's, this is the person I'm trying to please, but a holy God, I, I know you see, but I'm less concerned about you, but I'm really concerned about her. And what, you, what it humbles you and makes you realize my restraint should have nothing to do with her. It has everything to do with the one who sees it all. Amen? There's a difference. That, and that leads us to what I'm calling holy restraint. Holy restraint is when we're restrained from our sin because of the Spirit's conviction and because of our awareness that God sees our sin. And that restrains us. That's holy restraint. We're, we're restrained by the Spirit, the conviction, and the reality that a holy God is aware of all things and we do not, we want to please him. We do not want to dishonor him. Holy restraint is not the fear of getting caught. It's not the fear of being found out. It's not the avoidance of punishment. It's the awareness of a holy God who sees and knows all things. And here's the greatest spiritual deception of secret sin. Secret sin convinces us to hide our sin from God instead of throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, right? We, we need that throne of grace, don't we? That we may what? Receive mercy, find grace in time of need. So what secret sin does, it doesn't, it doesn't invite us there. It actually encourages us to stay away. But when we, when we recognize this and we go to this God with confidence and we do draw near to the throne of grace, then what we do is we receive mercy and we find grace. And this is what we're called to do. So this is one type of sin that we need to be aware of. And there, there are all kinds of sins that would be 
categorized under that. And I'm not here to try to list them for you. I'm, I'm trusting in the spirit of God to do what he does, to be speaking to each of you and convicting you as he needs to, because he's the one who's aware. The second type of sin, though, that I want to move to now is presumptuous sin. You might say, well, what's that? Well, I want to explain it. Um, this I'm going to get from Psalm 19, 12, and 13. You can turn there. It'll come up here on the screen as well. This is David again. It's one of his Psalms. Who can discern his errors in verse 12? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. David is praying here to be kept from sins that are presumptuous. That word has a meaning. If we, if we look at the meaning of that word that we're translating into uh, the English word presumptuous, it has a meaning of arrogant and, and, and proud. And so presumptuous sin would be, would be this, as I'm, uh, I'm trying to provide a, a definition for you, knowingly and willingly violating God's law or ways with the expectation of mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Now you might think, well, that's kind of how it works, isn't it? But this is, we, we've got to dig into this to make sure that we're not approaching this in the wrong way. Presumptuous sin is willful sin. It's sinning with knowledge that you're sinning. It's knowingly and willingly disobeying God's law and commands and then doing so even before you sin with the presumption that when, when the sin is over at some point, you will receive grace and forgiveness for that. Now, not all sins are presumptuous. Many are not. Some are, some are heat of the moment. Some might be, as I mentioned earlier, sinning unknowingly and, and then the spirit convicts you or in another way, God reveals to you that that's sin. But presumptuous sin is, premed, is premeditated awareness of sin and then doing it anyway, knowing this is wrong. I know it's wrong. I'm gonna do it anyway. And in that way, it's prideful, it's arrogant, it's boastful, and it's very dangerous. So if I would say it this way, presumptuous sin would require knowledge of wrongdoing, Willful desire to do the wrong and then presumption of grace for the wrong committed. David prays to be kept from presumptuous sin because it's so arrogant and prideful and we need to pray the same way. We don't want to have this approach. Now the great arrogance of presumptuous sin is this. The God who is sinned against is the one we depend on to rescue us from the sin we committed. And that's, that's, an, that's an arrogant thing for us to do, to head into it knowingly, say, yes, I know this is a violation of your law. I'm going to do it anyway, but don't worry about it because at some point I will ask you to forgive me for it. It's arrogant. And, and David's saying, keep me from that, God. And we should have that same prayer. The dangers of presumptuous sin. First one is this. Presumptuous sin seeks to separate the divine attributes of God from the personhood of God. And I'll explain what I mean by that. When we sin in this way, knowingly, yes, I know this is a violation of God's law. I'm going to do it anyway because I really want to. What we're doing is we're saying we want God's mercy. We want God's love. We want God's compassion. We want God's goodness. We'll take all of that, but we're going to separate that and we're going to separate his holiness, his knowledge that we just talked about of everything that we're doing, his justice and his judgment. We're going to separate that over here. We want this part, but we don't want that part. And we try to separate God. 
into a loving, merciful God that is somehow no longer righteous, holy, and just. And this is one of the dangers, one of the problems. Matthew Henry said, there is in every willful sin a contempt for the goodness of God. Think about that. None of us say, hey, you know what I'd like to do? I'd really like to show contempt today for the goodness of God, right? Like you don't wake up one day and go, I'm gonna show contempt today for the goodness of God because that's just what I really wanna do. As a Christian, that's hopefully never on our heart, but we will know something and that's against God's law and say, I'm gonna violate it anyway because I just want to. And in so doing, we are showing contempt for the goodness of our God. Another danger, a second danger, is presumptuous sin misapplies and misunderstands God's kindness and biblical repentance. It misapplies and misunderstands God's kindness and biblical repentance. For this, I want to look at Romans 2. You can turn there and I'll also have it on the screen for you to see. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For our purposes today, I want to focus on verse four. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. How do you know if you're even doing that? How do I know if I'm doing that? How do you know if you're doing that? Well, Paul is saying you're doing that if you're judging everyone else for their sin and yet you are doing and practicing the very same thing. So the context here in Romans 2 clearly is judging, judging others But the issue that Paul is addressing is not the judgment. The issue isn't the fact that you're judging others. The the issue is the fact that you're practicing sin while judging others. That's why he says practicing sin in verse 1. He says it again in verse 2. Says it again in verse 3. You practice such things. You do such things. And this is presumptuous sin. Practicing sin and then presuming on God's riches. And if you're presuming on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, Paul is saying, there's something you don't know. There's something you're misunderstanding. What is it that you're misunderstanding? Well, you're misunderstanding God's kindness, God's forbearance, and God's patience. You misunderstand all of it. You think you understand it, but you're actually misunderstanding it. Well, how? How am I demonstrating that? Because you're continuing to do the same sin. You're continuing to sin in that way. You, you need to not presume again on that. And by, uh, let, me, let me break down what I mean by these words. Kindness would be the blessings of God to us. Forbearance would be God's withholding 
of divine judgment toward us. So he's forbearing in that he's withholding judgment that's actually deserved. And while he's withholding, he's extending blessing. That's kindness. Patience is basically just the duration of time in which both of those things are happening. Where he's giving you kindness and withholding judgment. And what, what this text is saying is you're misinterpreting all of that when you presume upon it. And so the main idea here is this. God's kindness is meant, intended, to lead you to repentance. It is not intended for you to see it as a reason to continue sinning presumptuously. That's not why he's extending that to you. So if God is showing you kindness, he's demonstrating forbearance, withholding judgment, what those are reasons for you to do are to stop sinning. That's why he's doing it. Not, he's not doing it so you'd continue. You see what I'm getting at? And this is what Paul is, is getting at. So, so an example of that, you know, like maybe, maybe you know the relationship you're in is wrong. You know, but God seems to be okay with it because nothing really bad has happened. That's, that's misunderstanding. You're misunderstanding God's forbearance, God's patience. You're misunderstanding what God is doing. He's actually giving you an opportunity to respond correctly. Or that big lie that you told that hasn't caught up with you yet. Or the stealing maybe that you, you whatever, whatever, whatever sin it is, it, it, it doesn't matter. But when we see, when we have this sin that we see is, must be okay because God didn't really do anything about it. We're misunderstanding this text and, and specifically God's kindness. And if you keep sinning and you keep doing these things, you're only storing up wrath for yourself. The, what, what Paul is getting at is the kindness of God is being shown to you because he wants to lead you to repentance because, if, because judgment is coming. Do not misunderstand God's kindness towards you as God's approval of your sin. That should sound familiar to you because Pastor Carl preached on this passage, I think it was earlier this year, and he said something very similar to this and I remember it and, and took that from that message that that we need to not misunderstand when God is showing kindness to us and actually interpret that kindness as God must be okay. No one should ever sin presumptuously and think I have time later to ask for forgiveness. I'll just do it later, not right now. That approach is wrong. We're misunderstanding his patience, his forbearance. We need to understand, we're going to get into repentance in a couple weeks. Repentance, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll kind of lead into it. Uh, repentance is granted and given by God. Did you know that? It's not something for us to ever take for granted. It's given by God. 2 Timothy 2.25 makes that clear. God may perhaps grant them repentance. The them that Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy 2 is referring to people who are stirring up trouble, opposition against the gospel and his work. And he's telling Timothy this. 
leading, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But this is something God gives. So when the spirit of God is convicting you of sin, do you know when the time to repent is? Now, not later, not tomorrow, because tomorrow's not guaranteed. I think we assume that, right? We think, well, just not right now. Uh, I, I'm too young or I have too many things I want to do. I got I to gotta play this out longer, but eventually I will. You misunderstand his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience. While I was pastoring in Florida, I'll never forget this story, uh, what happened to me. I was visiting an elderly man in hospice. His wife was in the church. She was a believer she had witnessed him for years and years, and he never believed. Uh, he, he never came to anything in the church. He, he, he kind of separated his life from her life in that way and um, just always just was not open to, really at all to the gospel. And so he was in hospice. He was in his last days, and uh, she came to me, and she asked me to go visit him and to share the gospel uh, again with him. I said, I certainly will go and I will obviously do, do the best that I can. And I'll never forget that. It's like so vivid in my memory. That man barely spoke, barely spoke at all. But he did tell me something. He told me that he was filled with fear. He actually used the word terrified. He was terrified to die. He was holding a small statue of an angel in his hand and he just kept squeezing it tight as he would tell me how terrified he is to die. So I shared the gospel with him and I told him about Jesus and I said, Christ can remove that fear. You're, you're, you, you, you know, you're, pretty soon you're gonna see him. You could die in peace. His eyes filled with tears. I remember his eyes just kind of filling with tears but he show, slowly just shook his head No as he clutched to this angel and he died the next day. And I'll never forget that because even filled with fear at the precipice of death, it seemed as if that man could not repent and give his life to Jesus. Because at some point, I don't know when it was, but at some point he rejected Christ for the last time. I don't know when that was. He doesn't even probably even know when that was, but we should never presume upon God's riches. Repentance is something that is granted by God. And when God is extending that to us and saying, yes, get right with me, we should respond. So we just looked at two different types of sin. And again, they have many that are listed under them. I think they help us to see just the insidious nature of sin. And so my prayer is, as I've shared this, and I know this can be difficult to hear and, and I believe quite convicting. My, my hope though, is that God would use this as a way to encourage you to keep you, keep us from secret sin, from presumptuous sin. Let us recognize that our God sees and knows all things. And instead of trying to hide our sin or presumptuously continuing in a particular sin, instead of doing that, let's all draw near to the throne of grace, right? To receive mercy, to find grace. 
and to ask God to help us mortify these sins, these sins that need to be mortified in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what I'm hoping and praying for, that God would do that in you, in us. And so even as we're about, about to close, what I wanna do is I just wanna give you an opportunity where you are between you and God to just bow your heads and just talk to God in your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been bringing things to your mind and you, you know he's doing it. I, I, I don't need to know. I'm not, I'm, I don't know, but I know the Holy Spirit is, is gonna work and bring things to your mind. And as he does, just respond in your heart and say, yes, Holy Spirit, I, you're bringing that to mind. That needs to go, forgive me. Let me not run. Let me not try to hide from it. Let me instead run to the throne of grace and help me to, help me to find mercy. To find grace, to receive mercy here. And maybe there's, maybe there's a sin that, is, that you're finding is in your life that is you're willfully disobeying something that God, you know, has made it clear you should not be doing, participating in whatever it is. If God is bringing that to mind, take time now to confess that, repent, and say no more. I do not want to presume upon God's riches, his forbearance, his patience, his kindness, and ask him to lead you to repentance, as the word says. Lord God, we are all in such great need of your Holy Spirit to help us. Yes, we have this in common that we are all sinners saved by the grace and the mercy of God. Help us. Lord, we need your help. We want to give it up all to you for you to do the work in us that only you can do. So even in this moment as as the music is playing, just stay in this, this attitude, in this posture of prayer.